you know, we're thinking about business first as a, as a mindset. You know, what's important to the business rather than what's important to me? What is the outcome that the individual and the organization needs rather than what's the outcome that I need to prove my own worth? In the 20 years, Ash, that we've been tracking what correlates back to business results, the technology never once showed a correlation. When we shift our mindset to really seeing that's where genuinely we personally believe we can contribute our value, that think, the way we think about value then has a knock-on effect in the way that we behave when we're working with the business. You know, we want the tech to fix the problem and it won't. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. Today, I have an incredible interview that I actually recorded a couple of months ago with Laura Overton. If you've worked in our industry for any time at all, she needs no introduction. She has been a trailblazer in our industry, the original CEO and founder of Towards Maturity, and has since done many incredible things for our industry in helping it progress and look forward using data. I was lucky enough to sit down with Laura and chat about all things marketing for learning because Laura has actually been pushing the marketing agenda in our industry for nigh on 20 years now, believe it or not. So me and Laura sat down and we had a good chat about what's changed, sadly what hasn't, and a lot more, plenty of laughs involved and such an insightful conversation from someone who really knows their stuff in terms of what moves the needle in our industry. It's jam-packed full of data, it's jam-packed full of insights, and it's absolutely certain to get you interested in how you can create more actionable insights from your marketing strategies within learning. Strap on in, folks. This one's a good one. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. Today I am joined by Laura Overton. Hey Laura, lovely to speak to you. I am so looking forward to this conversation with you, Ash. Me too. Thank you so much for joining me and I know that our listeners are going to really enjoy what you've got to say because dare I say it, you're one of the original trailblazers when it comes to Marketing for Learning. You've been talking about this since 2004. Yes. I don't really I don't really want to admit to how long I've been talking about this for but yeah it was basically after a stint that I had had as a marketing leader actually for 3 years and my background is really predominantly working in the learning and development professional particularly on edtech and change and change management uh, you've been talking recently about the marvellous Kevin Cosner, <laughs> and if oh, they, yes. if they build him. it when they come, you know, I was around when that film first came out, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, this has always been a challenge, and so it was always interesting for me to see how my experience as a marketing leader overlapped with my passion for driving change in the learning and development industry, so, um, yeah, I'm thrilled to be able to have a chat with you about learn from you today, Ash. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I wish. Come on now. I mean, it sounds like we're very much cut from the same cloth there, you know, because back in my days when I was working in as an in-house marketer, I was the same. I was just like, you know, this is a re- really big problem that no one seems to either recognize or blames it on the tech or things like that. Or or we just we, we just spend money and, and hope that things change. And it, it, it I, I just genuinely couldn't kind of bend my head around it. So I'm glad to hear you kind of have felt the same pain in some ways. 
obviously that's nearly two decades ago, believe it or not, probably gone in a, a finger click, but what are your kind of major observations? Has much changed or is it is it still the same stuff that we're contending with from 20 years ago in terms of how people aren't approaching improving engagement challenges in L&D? Um, well, because part of my, that 20 years um, for me was actually doing a research study, uh, you know, with learning and development professionals and for me, the most important part was their learners as well, you know, really getting the voice of the worker into that process. Um, you know, I had a good sense of what was going on between 2004 and 2019 because I watched the data every mm. single year and I was always looking for what correlates back to business impact. Um, and what changed over that period of time when I was watching the data, well, clearly the technology changed. Clearly the tools, the internet, uh, the, you know, the iPhone was brought out at that time, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and the way that we connect and we collaborate change. And obviously there's been that major shift since 2019 as well. So what's been changing is the fact that we, as individuals, our workplaces have changed as a result of technology. But what has changed in terms of the practice of learning and development professionals? Well, one of the things that I noticed in my own studies was that the high performing teams, by that, those that I mean, those that were reporting smarter business results, um, they seem to be embracing a whole range of different you know, I know you like the word mindset, but a whole range of different mindsets, and I'm, I'm so with you on that. You know, we're thinking about business first as a, as a mindset. You know, what's important to the business rather than what's important to me? Thinking about the individual, the worker in the workplace of being listening, empathetic to those, to that, you know, rather than I'm your expert, I am your trainer, come listen to me, come watch my beautiful design, you know, that kind of empathetic <laughs> kind of thing. They were more um, aware, they had a mindset that was much more aware of the fact that they were working with the business rather than for the business. Um, and also this mindset of, you know, really thinking about engagement and improvement in engagement, that process of engagement. So um, for me, those different characteristics combined with the skill that they had within their own team. It was almost like a six-legged race, Ash. Yeah. Know, sort of like from if all of those started to work together, we made small steps in all of those areas of business, learners, culture, um, biz, our capability, engagement and impact, all of those six areas, we worked together that consistently over those uh, 15 years of me tracking this led to better business results. Working on one area and not the other didn't lead to business results. It was literally, it was everything coming together in a much more holistic framework of thinking, which was all driven from what is the outcome that the individual and the organization needs, rather than what's the outcome that I need to prove my own worth. So for me, um, that didn't change. And I think that's really interesting. Even the re research is carrying on right now. Um, yeah. You know, the, it, the my tools for business took over that research program and have got an amazing research team still maintaining that and what i'm noticing in the data that's coming through now post pandemic is those characteristics have not changed and what's really interesting is in the 20 years ash that we've been tracking what correlates back to business results the technology never once showed a correlation 
So despite wow. all of these wow. tools and techniques that are coming through, all these fancy things that we can do, it was what we do with them in those yes. six areas. That what is what consistently makes a difference. So what's changed? More tech. Effective practice has not changed. More silver bullets have been shot out from everywhere. <laughs> you know, yeah. just, they've got a model here and an idea there. And <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion in, in the marketplace at the moment. But sometimes I just think we need to get back to core principles, um, which is why I was so thrilled when you said we could have this conversation because I know you get that. Absolutely. I mean, my gosh, you said so much that I just agree with. I was just like fervently nodding my head as you were speaking because there's so much there to unpack in terms of, you know, business first attitudes. You know, that that to me is such a big deal because if we're not starting with the business objectives, what are we starting with? You know, then then we're back to that order taker dynamic where we've got people who don't kind of, again, over, understand the overarching goals of the organization. They're dealing with more granular training need and they're coming to the L&D function and saying we need this. And that, that dynamic we know doesn't work or it's certainly not going to achieve the heady heights of the high achievers you were just describing. I think, you know, for me, you also talked about learner first, what's in it for me and, and putting their needs again, that helps us achieve those business goals. You know, if we want to achieve the business goals, which are our primary objective, we have to prioritize positioning ourselves to meet the learner need that I think people don't quite understand that. I think, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a gap there and it blows my mind, but it doesn't really that the tech never showed any traction because it's a vehicle. It's, you know, it is an enabler, do not get me wrong, and wow, the things that we can do. You know, I'm running my business fully remotely, all online, absolutely crazy when you think about that. But it it still is very much something that our industry, and many others, I'm certain, lean into as a solution. My thoughts are that it's because it's an easy thing, it's a tangible thing. It's much more it's much easier for us to kind of lean in and say, okay, hey, look, things aren't working from an engagement perspective. No one's logging into the LMS. Must be the LMS's problem. But you're saying the data, even if you change the LMS, because there's all that mindset stuff that sits underneath it, the problem still sits there and it will just rear its ugly head in another year or two, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we want the tech to fix the problem and it won't, yeah. you know? And I think that, that that's the breakthrough moment that we need. Um, here's another thing though, Ash, that I think is really interesting. It's how we think about business first, I think is really important. When I talk a lot about um, what I now call the L&D value spectrum, it's something that I found has been helpful for me to understand, you know, where does the learning professionals actually perceive their own value going back to mindset when you're alone and you're thinking about I wish someone could see how successful I am because I've done x y and z you know where does that x y and z fit on the learning L&D value spectrum is it in the learning um, side do you see your success in the kind of learning value you know your engagements your completions your NPS scores all the stuff that says how do they like me or is it on the business first end of the spectrum, which is all about, you know, has performance improved, has culture improved, have I seen shifts in innovation? 
when we shift our mindset to really seeing that's where genuinely we personally believe we can contribute our value, that think, the way we think about value then has a knock-on effect in the way that we behave when we're working with the business. Because mm. we're less likely to be saying, I need to prove myself to you, but I am working with you on this business challenge. And we have that mindset of business first and I'm here to work with you, bring my expertise, bring my instructional design expertise, bring my L&D science knowledge that I have about how the people learn. I wanna bring that and add it to your expertise so that we work on this business problem together. That really shifts uh, the mindset. It creates more open conversations with business. We don't have to prove ourselves. And I think one of the challenges is when, when many of us think business first, it means I've got to show people ROI. And I think that that is a really dangerous position for us to be in because it holds us back. If we feel we're constantly having to prove ourselves, we're never going to be free enough to be genuinely curious about what the problem is. You know, in terms of a mindset of, and, and strategic marketeers, they're like that. They're not saying I've got a product to sell. They're saying, okay, what's needed here? I'm listening. You know, I'm listening. I, I want to know what's going on so I can apply my skill to your skills so that we can work out the best way to take something forward. And I think ROI isn't necessarily just a positive impact on bottom lines. You know, I, I think that if we're looking at metrics that matter, you know, if, when you were describing those kind of two different objectives, shall we say, which are kind of more like sentiment, learner sentiment and attitudes towards learning, which arguably could then lean into things like learning culture, uh, contrasted with overall performance outcomes aligned with business goals, preferably, uh, even if that you know, cascades further down into things like retention, you know, arguably not as an L&D goal that I've seen many times, but surely has an influence and an effect on it nevertheless. So, you know, when, you, when you're describing that, I'm thinking, well, that's what a good marketer does because you're managing two very different threads there, but both of them should complement to achieve the overarching goals. And that's the biggest question of all. What is the purpose of L&D? You know, I was having a discussion with a few friends of mine the other day, and we were saying, if L&D disappeared, would people notice? And it's it's a contentious subject because, of, you know, we, we work there and it's important to us. And, and But does the business, what, what, what does the business want from an L&D function? You know, what, what do learners want? What are their expectations? I think it's a really interesting thought process in terms of maybe understanding that we're we're not an essential function and that's okay but then again our mindset needs to be more you know we have to influence we have to persuade much like a marketer does you know we have to go down the road of influencing people to start to think differently about us as a learning function but that starts with us thinking about ourselves differently as a learning function right exactly exactly and and we need to really embrace what we can bring to the business because you know would they business notice I think they wouldn't necessarily notice immediately uh, when, you know, they don't miss their curriculum of courses or their libraries or whatever it is they've got, or they can just invest in them without us. But they will miss us eventually, even if they don't miss us immediately. And I think the reason is because in my mind, what is the role of the L&D function? It's or the learning professional or um, in my newsletter, I'm, I'm kind of really t- tapped into the idea of learning change makers. 
uh, is are the people who really understand what's needed in the organisation to get people equipped and ready. I think there's been a lot of conversation rightly on performance, mm. but it's slightly too narrow. You know, absolutely, we've got to get people performing in their job and doing their critical tasks better, which means learning in the flow of work, which means peer-to-peer learning, all of those kinds of things. Absolutely, the data says these all make a difference. But only focusing on performance actually stops us thinking about the impact that we can potentially have long-term and strategically within a business. So I like to think of our role as how do we help people become equipped and ready for the jobs that we need to do today and also the roles that we need to take on tomorrow. So that has a got a greater role in reskilling, in attraction, in attention, in talent, where the silos are coming down. And again, we need a broader mindset in order to say, actually, how do I work with those parts of the business to actually really help achieve those business goals, which are gonna be so essential for the future, rather than how I'm a department that's attached to the side of those types of business and that again it's all about how we see ourselves and our future and who we want to work with and how we work with those people interesting you, you know the the common thread that i hear a lot with, with you know we, we talk about high performing l d functions obviously the sorts of people that i'm collaborating with with mass are typically at least more advanced in their approach to LD. um not to say that they're high performers i don't get that sort of visibility over their you know learning outcomes but I'm curious to understand what threads or what have you seen in terms of the high performers, those that are you know really getting impact from their L&D. Is there qualities that you find in those L&D people or those individuals? Is, is there anything that you can distill it down into like barring mindset? We've talked about that, but or what is it? What is it about their mindset? What sort of mindset should they be trying to cultivate? Um, I'm just wondering if there was anything that the data sort of surfaced out that you could say, you know, people who are high performing tend to do this, this and this. That might be a very, <laughs> a very distilled down question for you. I apologize. No, no, it's 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 a question I've been grappling with for 15 years, to be quite honest. <laughs> so, you know, those six areas that we talked about earlier are definitely key characteristics which are eternal in those processes. Um, but one of the things that I've looked at post um, the kind of pandemic is a range of interviews that I did with Michelle Ockers in Australia and Shannon Tipton in um, in uh, Chicago, uh, where we interviewed um, nearly 30 people right in the heart of when all the change and disruption was happening. And what we found there was that those that were managing their way through, they were less phased than the others. Um, so therefore, at that point in time, were high performing. Um, they actually, it was their thinking habits that struck me rather than their processes. So one of the thinking habits was that they were absolutely business first. This wasn't about the course and preserving the curriculum and sticking everything online. This was about what's happening in the business. How do I roll my sleeves up and get, get, in, get involved? The other thinking habit was about how they saw their personal role. How do they see themselves? Do they see themselves as an expert or do they see themselves as an empathetic explorer? So that again, that was a characteristic to kind of distill it down is that we certainly saw that they didn't leave their expertise behind, but they were willing to be open to new ideas and to find out what was going on. Another thinking habit that they had that was different was their approach to risk. And again, it matched up with the data. So when they looked at having to make a risky decision 
then people are either they hold on to what's worked for them in the past and they try and minimize their risk by holding on to what was has already worked or they actually are willing to let go so again the high performers in this disruptive change environment we found were more willing to let go of some of the things that had worked for them in the past in order to experiment and to try something new and something fresh. And so in terms of mindset, these were you know, just three of those kind of mindsets that those, at the, that point in time, uh, those that were, were thriving through disruption was a, were really clear characteristics. There were five of them, and I can, I'm happy to share the uh, ebook that we wrote around that. But Great. Um, it really matched up with the data of, of the high-performing teams earlier. You know, I'd, yeah. done, I'd done a study called Embracing Change, and it looked at what the high-performing leaders were doing for themselves. And it was all around these things. So two different sources of data were really flagging that those mindsets help to set your actions apart because we know that our thinking informs our behavior and our behavior informs our feelings and our feelings inform our thinking you know there's that whole cycle of yeah. behavior thoughts and uh, you know actions thoughts and thinking habits that actually influence who we are and what we do absolutely and i think you know we you know I, I believe very much you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with so you know exactly the same if you're kind of cultivating thoughts that aren't progressive or not pushing yourself to perhaps break those patterns of thinking then you know obviously you've got plenty of data to back it up that you know nothing's really going to change that that's relatively obvious something you said there really struck me which is you know we don't the irony you know the cobbler's son's shoes right we work in the learning profession but we are absolutely terrible at focusing on developing ourselves i think i had a stat shed and it's from the linkedin learning report Compared with other active learners on LinkedIn, L&D learners spend 23 less time learning in 2021 than everybody else. So the learning function learns 23% less than every other function. What can we start doing to help kind of shift our mindsets or change our our thinking or or develop our skills in, in these kind of very intangible skills, you know, resilience, innovation, you know, resisting the fear of failure, willingness to experiment. You know, these are all qualities I would expect to see in a very uh, successful marketer. But I think those qualities we really just need in, in every part of the business these days. So do you have any, again, in those high performers, were you seeing any any certain behaviors around developing themselves or things that you've seen that are particularly useful in terms of shifting mindsets, helping build new habits, uh, breaking down those thought processes that aren't necessarily going to help with success? in the long term yeah well certainly when I did the report on embracing change we really honed in into the learning habits of those leading high performing teams and it was one of the few times that we put a real lens on that and I think what struck me and if I remember rightly I probably have to go back and read the report myself but there's a couple of things (laughs) but we're willing to put ourselves out there so take on a secondment getting into into the business a lot more reflection spending time learning you know sort of that paced um, learning habits uh, of you know investing in time in myself and uh, it, it, you know applying learning science to myself you know the power of reflection of journaling of you know exposing ourselves to new ideas of secondments all of those types of things were actually really strongly there but I think one of the things that I've been doing since is looking at how 
we all emerge stronger and actually through the Emerging Stronger program that we've been doing, we've been looking at thinking habits, but we've also been looking at what impacts our feeling, what ha- mm. makes us feel stronger, braver, bolder, all the things you were just describing. And a little piece of work that we did, so, you know, different things help us feel strong. Like you mentioned already about that peer community of progressive thinkers that builds your courage and your strength. When I was looking at it, um, data as always been something that's helped me being a woman in the ed tech world you know sort of to get your voice heard in some way you needed something and so data for me always was a was something there um a power of a good mentor um practicing trying things experimenting having permission from ourselves giving ourselves permission to fail and try things other people giving us permission and we've been talking very much about that emotional safety net that we can potentially build for ourselves and it's one of the, the things that we feel quite strongly about is that maybe that emotional safety net, the things that may help us feel braver, we need to work out what that means to us and how do we surround ourselves with more of that? And how do we build a stronger net? Because as each of those different elements I've just described start to interconnect, your peer groups start, start to bring in some evidence. That evidence gives you the courage to try a small experiment. The small experiment then goes back and you can, do you see what I mean? The, the net oh, sure. starts to build and strengthen for you. And I think we've talked a lot about skills and how do we build new skills. And um, and I'm pretty sure your masterclass is gonna be brilliant for, for doing that, that you're gonna be doing in the marketing Thank side. Um, but it's it's then having the courage how do we make ourselves feel braver? And then how can we recognize how that's impacting how we think about our role as well? Yeah. So these are all all very complex kind of psychological things that actually we don't necessarily apply to ourselves, but there's some simple stuff that we can do just to get brave. I think so. And, you know, and I think the challenge becomes even if you have, you know, I mean, I've spoken to, you know, really, really smart or sharp L&D practitioners who have to leave organizations that they're really passionate about because they cannot get anywhere in terms of evolving the attitudes towards the learning function. And, and yes, you can like you. So you can be the most like woke, for want of a better word, L&D practitioner out there, do all the things that you just described there can still be a really vast amount of resistance internally in organizations. So again, we're up against it because not only do we have these kind of established ways of working and mindsets in ourselves, once we transform that or change our attitudes there, we've still got a a task on our hands to then do the same work with our audiences and our stakeholders in our organization. And, you know, that, that again, I think is where marketing can really come in because some of what you've just described, you know, that's work we've got to do on ourselves and you've got to make the time to do that and you've got to commit to doing that. You know, you've got to build your own habits and understand that that stuff does not happen overnight at all. <laughs> we know this from learning theory, right? Like the, things aren't built overnight. But then we've got we've got this other thing of, OK, well, this is our organization's attitude to learning. How do we change that? You know, you, you've talked a lot about data and I think that's where we really need to start is starting small, looking for those small incremental gains, starting with a pilot. I'm an advocate of uh, not asking permission and apologizing later, but <laughs> again, some people aren't always so comfortable with doing that and it does depend on the culture of the organization. Have you seen many, in many you know, obviously in your time in the industry, 
you've talked to so many people. How, how are people breaking down those barriers and shifting attitudes? You know, business first mindset, great. Partnering with the business. How do you start doing that? You know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, you know, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. I'm a big advocate Good. of that. And I and <laughs> I actually, you. <laughs> you know what, I even asked that question in the early stages of my study as well. And I did find that those who were more innovative also had that attitude as well. So mm. that's, that's quite helpful. But I think one of the places to get started, you know, is to look for that low hanging fruit. There'll be some other people out there who have got a challenge that they're willing to talk to you. They're willing to say actually let's just try something because this is too big for me not to try something and a small part of the business I think that's really important what holds us back though is our own we talk about culture and uh, there was Beth Hall was a a guest on Michelle Ocker's podcast Learning Uncut podcast from um, an organization called Cotton On Group down in Australia and she said to me Oh, said, I felt it was so personal. I felt she said to me, she said it to Michelle, but it, it really, it was like, it, it hit home so hard that actually each one of us, um, as part of something to do with culture, we either invest in our company's culture or we subtract from it. And that really mm. made me think about us as learning professionals. What are we investing in our company's culture and what are we taking away? Because I think we often look at our culture as a, uh, with a blame culture. And certainly the data, you know, was always a very high proportion of people saying, my program didn't work because of the learners, the managers, the culture, the learners, the managers, the culture. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Um, So uh, blaming it on everyone else is not the place to start. It's where can we make some of those quick wins? Where can we do some of those experiments? What happens if the culture isn't like that? I just haven't tapped into it yet. How will that allow me to spot a new opportunity? How do I start where people are at rather than insisting they start where I'm at? These are all tiny little things that we can ask ourselves. And if those questions allow us to try something different, approach it from a different angle, I think that's when we start to see real change and breakthrough. I love, I love that we're blaming everybody but ourselves. And so there's no accountability, but why would there be? Because most businesses aren't really asking us to, to prove ROI or, you know, so it's kind of quite natural for us to be like, well, it's obviously all this other stuff. And oh, definitely the tech as well. Don't forget oh, that. Oh yes, of course it's but, the tech, yeah. Yeah, obviously the tech. Um, and that's not to like, you know, I don't want to slate tech because it has its place. And I think it, it's, you know, I've seen amazing things happen with it. I think Everything you just said, in my opinion, boils it down to one thought process that I see so commonly in L&D that it blows my mind is that learners, or sorry, let me rephrase that, employees want to learn. We, we operate from that mindset. That, that the attitude is towards we want to learn. So obviously it's not the program because people want to learn, you know, okay, great. I see that time and time again and I think it's incredibly debilitating for us actually. And actually, it's, it's just not the case. When I, I did, I started a study called Learning Landscape and it's been continued with MindTools. In fact, they've just released um, the latest version of Learner Intelligence. And one of the questions you asked directly of individuals, and this time they went out through YouGov, um, mm. you know, to, to individuals. Um, so I was fascinated by the data. And one of the questions was, you know, what motivates you to um, dig into finding ways of learning for yourself 
And the majority of the time, it's because they want to be able to do their jobs faster and better. And it's about their own personal um, journey and whatever that ambition actually is. Um, it's not that they want to learn. They just want to get on with life. Yeah, they want the outcomes of learning without the understanding. Yeah. Just that aha moment. When I started to see that data come through, um, it's probably about seven years ago. We looked at the millennials and we looked at, it was before Gen Z when I started to look at this, but, you know, we, we looked at all the different age, no difference in ages, uh, no real difference in role from apprentice through to director. Why are, you, why are you investing your own time in doing some stuff like this? It's because they want to do their jobs faster and better. Yeah, so yep. there's a, there is that powerful, powerful motivation of people just want to get on with life. Uh, they don't necessarily want to be spoon-fed, but they definitely don't necessarily want to come to courses to do it. They just need to find the way of being able to do their jobs faster and better. Yeah, it explains our infatuation with learning and the flow of work, whatever that means these days. But, you know, I, I think that there never was a truer word spoken that unless we can understand the intrinsic motivation of our people, we're never going to connect with them on a, le- a learning level. You know, this is why I tell people to go do value proposition canvases. This is why I tell people to focus on what's in it for me. This is why I tell them to talk about benefits instead of features, because suddenly you're talking about here's what you're going to get if you do this rather than this is a 45 minute e-learning module focused on health and safety or that doesn't mean anything to them. If you tell them that you're not going to break your back lifting a box, that's going to mean a little bit more to somebody like, you know, on a basic level, this is exactly what we need to start thinking about is how can we humanize our approach and how can we humanize our people? Because I think sometimes we just think of them as like drones who like come to work and, you know, they're just ready to crack on with their compliance training and, you know, they're just not. And we just need to accept that people aren't interested in learning and that's okay. That doesn't mean that they won't be, but we need to position it differently. It's not enough to just say, we have a place for you to learn and we have lots of stuff for you to learn. You just remind me actually of an exercise I did. It was a, a while back, but I bought, asked um, a whole range of different learning and development leaders. They brought in or they sent me their latest marketing material, their posters and their emails and everything else. And all I did was pop it into a word cloud. It was absolutely hilarious. Um, Ash, because like, <laughs> and then you present it. it back to them and say, look, you've been talking about this is the motivation of your learners. This is the motivation of the people who are working, things that are important to them, the what's in it to me. Now, let's just compare it with this little word cloud <laughs> that we have in front of us. There were hardly any matches at all yep. in terms of vocabulary, in sentiment, in the way that we talk about things. Um, it's so important to be able to make that connection. And I'd really like to pick up on your point about the individual as well, because um, the individual worker is going to be at a different phase according to to what their needs are. And we know a lot from learning science about the fact that novices and, you know, practitioners and experts all work differently when it comes down to learning. Um, And yet we tend not to reflect that in the way that we connect and market with them. We think everything needs to be in the flow of work. That doesn't always work for a novice who needs more structure, more scaffolding. We believe that the experts are just going to automatically dip into whatever they need, where experts actually can be very blinded by their own expertise and not willing to learn. They sometimes need the challenge of something new. So 
it's it's really important as you say to tap into the human qualities that will then define the product areas that we from one of the p's of marketing the product areas that we need to focus in on um yeah. you know to meet and connect with them at the point where they're at that's it and i mean when you know when we're really like talking through it and boiling it down yes it is complicated it's not it's not actually hugely difficult at its core but we have to start thinking okay we need our learning experiences to be good first of all because we don't want an over promise and under deliver situation you don't want to be doing incredible marketing raising awareness and then people go and have you know just powerpoint powerpoint next 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 you know we, we we're not going to get again we're not going to get the learning outcomes that we want first of all but second of all you're you're certainly going to lose the learner you know you, you have one opportunity to make a good first impression but say say you know your housekeeping is all sorted and you've got really amazing learning experiences established you've got a variety you know a nice blended approach where it isn't just you know come and serve yourself there's actually like you said some structure for those that need it but others you know have this kind of flow in the work dynamic we still need to remind people, you know, Coca-Cola is the most consumed product, barring probably tea. I think that probably is tea's higher, but they're probably the most purchased consumed product in the world. They still do marketing. They still do branding. They still do adverts on the TV at Christmas with Santa. Yeah, they still keep front of mind because there are they know that their audience is being bombarded with other things that are just waiting right on the sidelines to immediately grab their attention. So even if even if their product is good, they still have to continuously market themselves to keep front of mind with the consumer. We don't do that. <laughs> you know what? And we're missing a trick. We're missing a trick because if you look at how marketing has evolved with the new technologies, with the role of influencer marketing, with peer-to-peer, you know, sort of social influencing and you know, all of that kind of thing that's been really a focus of content marketing strategies now. Uh, it's not just about the content you pump out, but it's the way people connect and interact and engage and who's listening to who and who's saying what. That, to me, gives us the most incredible opportunity, not just to keep the voice out there front and foremost as you say but it also opens up opportunities in the learning experience to reflect to practice to share stories to work on a project with a new skill to capture that skill to understand what those stories are the videos that are going around you know suddenly those what might be traditional marketing tools also become learning tools and allow us to not just say I'm just I just need to keep on marketing but actually embed the practice into the individual so we can be super smart now borrowing mm. ideas from marketing you know as particularly peer-to-peer social influencers championing all of that kind of thing to really start to embed new habits in the workers that we're working with as well as keeping um, learning at front and foremost you know so I, I am really excited about the overlap, the new overlap between marketing and and learning. But not just about the promotion, but how we can use those techniques to reinforce habit and behaviour change and culture within the organisation. Definitely, you know, because I think campaigns is one small piece of a marketing pie you know the branding stuff like I find that way more interesting like how do we how do we actually influence or affect someone's attitudes towards us like that is a difficult thing to quantify at times but that's what 
that's what good branding does. And, you know, I did an episode on branding because I, I read a quote somewhere that was, you know, brands only exist in the mind of the person interacting with it. And like that just like scrambled my brain for a second. And I was like, it's so true because again, we fixate on the tangible assets of a brand, you know, our iconography, our uh, fonts, our colors, the visual language of the brand, tone of voice, messaging frameworks, whatever. But all of that's concocted to create an emotion in somebody. That's basically it but it's also how you feel when you interact with that brand how the individual how the department how the responsiveness you know of of that of that um organization who is carrying that brand does it all tie in together does it all reflect it you can have a great icon and your great great brand brand colors but it says energy and then if it's tired and lackluster experience you're not going to be connected with that at all in fact, it'll have the converse effect, I think, yeah. because you've done, you've done what I mentioned earlier, where you've overpromised and underdelivered, or you're not consistent in your messaging. And so people are expecting one thing. Like I, I've talked about this a lot in terms of like, you know, logos and like, what does something say about something? Like we've got to accept and understand that we live in a world of stereotypes, biases, and many unconscious things are operating in people's brains so that they can quickly and swiftly uh, interpret the world. So a ch- you choose a color flippantly, <laughs> And actually that has, you know, color, color language. There's a whole realm of psychology and psychological analysis around color language and how that communicates to people with a color, you know, never mind, you know, the over-reliance on dry, dull stock imagery. You know, what, what's that making someone feel if, if beyond boredom? <laughs> so I'm absolutely with you, you know, it, it, that feeling, that emotion is what we're trying to, you know, latch onto and, we could do more with the emotions that we can foster in people too. You know, it doesn't always have to just be like heart fingers and everything's the best ever. You know, I I would love us to leverage those slightly more negative emotions, the fear, the fear of failure, the fear, you know, the fear of being left behind, I think is a really big one from a career perspective. If we're looking at either upskilling or reskilling our employees, which we're likely to given current circumstances, then surely one of the biggest intrinsic motivators we could ignite in them is don't get left behind. You know, the world is changing. This is the skills that skills that you're going to need, whether you're here or somewhere else, are X, Y, and Z. How are you going to get them if you don't focus on developing yourself? And again, another thing about marketing mindset is the fact that actually marketeers are quite happy to experiment, to do things like A-B testing and things like that. So, you know, you could have a hypothesis that say if we trap into... Uh, people's kind of fear of being left behind then we will be able to see whether or not they'll be engaging with us so you know they have but we can test that out do small little little experiments to see what connects with people and what doesn't and also those experiments then surface new data new understanding new empathy with the audience that we're connecting with so I think if we want have want that empathy then marketing can actually give us a wide range of tools to be able to connect better with the audiences uh, and and it gives us a creative way when we combine marketing techniques with what we know as experts in learning design then actually um, it's 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 a concept of lack of idea sex so there's nothing new under the sun but when two ideas come together something new create is created and that's what excites me about the overlap between marketing and with learning is the new opportunities that both departments can learn from each other.
you don't have to be me who's worked in you know in-house marketing roles for 10 years to be able to take some of the key stuff that marketers do and employ effectively every day you know I like little things copywriting put some energy and time into what you write and how you say it and thinking about again how people are going to interact with it what's it going to do for them you know I think testing is so important and it's something again we're not always so comfortable doing or good at doing um you know and I, I guess my my one concern is you know if we send one email and we're testing a fear thing let's not like let's not take that as truth then and be like yeah everyone reacts well to fear like okay you've got your hypotheses go and continue to stress test that you know because that that's the reality we can't get like you, you well you'll know this way more than me with the data analysis that you've done in your time you know it's I say it's data informed, not data led. And that's the way that I think we should be thinking. Get data and then let that data give you more hypotheses to continue to test and learn and test and learn and never stop. Yeah, exactly. And also what you're doing is you're building up your own experience. And that's what I love about evidence informed decision making. You know, the evidence that we use is the data that comes in, the data that comes from other people, the interviews we have with other people and our own experiences. Um, mm. All of those combined to give multiple sources of insight that allow us to inform our decisions and make us smarter as we go through. You know, and that's a lesson from you know, so marketing, it's a lesson from learning and development, it's a lesson from data analysis, you know, there's where these all these worlds collide and there's some commonality, it's for a reason. Yeah. It's because it's smart. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the one thing I would say as well is, your learnings in one organization might not necessarily always translate to another. So, you know, because it's a different audience. So you've got to learn what works for your people. That's nothing more, you know, like someone will say to me, well, what are you doing on LinkedIn? How are you employing these tactics? What's working? I'm going to tell you some of the basics, some of the, what I would say are universal truths about something when it comes to marketing. But beyond that, you've got to learn what's going to work with your audience like that. You've got to just put in the time. You've got to put in the, the, the desire to want to test, to be willing to fail and concoct experiments and ideas that are actually going to give you useful data you know, meaningful metrics that you can then action further to stress test and, and examine further. And that comes back to mindset. It brings us full loop round to mindset because actually, you know, are we willing to listen, to explore, to let go, but always to have business first as our North Star is being the one red thread that come, pulls through all of our work that we bring, you know, to our industry and to the role that we have. And I think that if there's anything I've learned over the years, it's that willingness to adapt and flex and flow and try it uh, that's been so so critical but always with one goal in mind which is about making improvements in the organization what a wonderful way to end the podcast I you know I was going to ask you if there was like one key takeaway for everybody but you pretty much just nailed it there Laura, thank you so much. I could probably chat to you for another five or six hours. I feel like, like I said, we're, we're definitely cut from the same fabric. And I, you know, thank you so much for sharing so much, you know, meaningful information around, you know, the research that you've done. We'll definitely share uh, that ebook that you mentioned in the show notes. If people want to find you, can they find you in on your LinkedIn? And, and how do they sign up for your newsletter, for example? Uh, yes, I do a newsletter called hashtag learning changemakers on LinkedIn. It is not regular. I probably need a bit of advice from you there ash but you know um that's that's this place where most people find me is through on linkedin really happy to connect with people really happy to take questions on linkedin i'm also on twitter as well both at laura overton 
Fabulous. Okay, well, like I said, I'll put all that detail in the show notes as well, just so it's easy for people to find. On behalf of myself and everybody who's listened today, thank you so much for your time, Laura. Incredible insights. Oh, thank you. It's really (laughs) great to just chat about these things. Absolutely. Have a wonderful afternoon.